Colossians chapter 2, as we begin our reflections upon the word today, verses 2 through 3. I want them, Paul was saying to this church in Colossae, I want you guys, I want them to be encouraged, knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence. Wouldn't that be a good thing to have? I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that's just kind of guiding us through a world that just seems to be becoming more and more complex. It's just hard to know how to live. It's hard to know how to exist in a place that it seems like every month is changing. But Lord God, I am just so thankful that you don't change. When we get up in the morning, you are the same. And when we put our head to the pillow at the end of a big, long day, you're the same. And Lord, that's something we can trust in and believe in. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. When people look at your life, do they see Jesus? It's kind of a loaded question, I know. It's complex because how would they know Jesus? How would they know in our lives? What are the characteristics that maybe set a Christian apart from somebody else? And therefore, it challenges the question, what does the normal Christian life look like? And to a great extent, the book of Colossians is going to walk us through some of that and we're going to spend most of the morning going through the book of Colossians. But, you know, I grew up in a church. In fact, that's where I met Keith and Mary, Central Church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. My dad was a deacon's kid, so that means I just got in a lot of trouble, right? It's just like you get to get in trouble when you're the deacon's kid. But I remember as a little kid, we got up in the morning, on Sunday morning, and my dad had spent the whole week working with his hands. He worked a paper-converting uh, production company, so he'd build the machine. So his hands were always covered in grease and solvents. His hands were rough, right? From constant washing, constant cleaning, constant breakdown of the skin. Uh, he was a hands-on kind of a guy. But on Sunday mornings, he put on a suit, right? He put on the suit. He had two suits, right? One that goes to church and one that goes to weddings and funerals, right? He had two suits, and he switched it up with ties. And my mom put on makeup and put a dress on. And we all got dressed up Sunday morning, and we'd sit at the breakfast table, and, and uh, my dad would pour uh, Raisin Bran, right? The only cereal, Raisin Bran. And we ate our Raisin Bran and went to church, and everybody else's families looked like ours, Right? Everybody was dressed up, and I'm not speaking for or against whether or not everybody should show up in suits and dresses next week, but there was this perception as a child that these are the Christian people, the ones in, in suits and ties, and, and as a child, that just kind of, I, I know who the Christians were, and sometimes on a Sunday morning, someone would show up not dressed up, and you thought, oh, they're from the world. We laugh, but, but in reality, there are still judgments that we make. 
reflections on what does it look like to be a Christian and what it doesn't look like to be a Christian. Constantly those things are changing. And we start asking ourselves, what's a, what's a Christian really supposed to look like or act like? And many people will answer that differently. Just in, I, I got on Google Maps this week, just within two miles of this building, mostly going towards the lake. Which way is the lake? I'm always, thank you. You, you don't know either. Everybody went like this. <laughs> Mr. Drake. Yeah, so within two miles of this church, 12 churches. 12 churches. And each of them with a different personality and style and high church and low church and everything in between church, right? Each of them displaying their connection with the risen Christ in a very unique, a very different way. So then it, it continues to bode, what, what are we supposed to look like? Some will say we're supposed to separate ourselves from the world, right? And some say we need to integrate ourselves so deeply into the world that there doesn't seem to be a, a differentiator. Some say, no, we need to become communal, right? Got a huge, huge area to put a, put a garden in right over here. We'll, you know, put up bunks in the church or something, you know. Every single church seems to have a different perspective. What does it look to be look like to be a Christian? What can I do? What can't I do? Which, by the way, is a horrible perspective on what it means to be a Christian. Right? What can I do? What can't I do? What's the minimum I need to do? Right? Rather than really what Colossians is going to guide us through. It was interesting. Growing up, I, I entered the youth group at 12 years old, and our youth pastor at the time, uh, who just recently retired from a church just north of here, uh, he made it very clear to us we could not go to bowling alleys because they are dark places and bad things happen in dark places. And our men's ministry is going bowling next week. <laughs> what changed, you know? And it's a question that, that we've been asking ourselves for, for years. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And, and it's interesting for Paul because he's writing a church he never has actually attended or been to. Most likely Epaphras or Timothy had initiated this church. And he's never been there. So it wasn't like what he said to other people, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, here's a, here's a model that you can live by, so follow me this way, right? But he's talking to, to people who he's never met before and challenging them and what it means to live a normal Christian life. What does it mean to do that? And maybe we've never met Paul. We're 2,000 years away from the, this, this period of time where we're still being challenged around the idea of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And Colossae was really having some challenges because something had kind of seeped into the church, which today we would call syncretism, which syncretism at its base is just kind of this blending this blending of many different things. And for the church, it was oriental thought, it was Jewish tradition, it was local traditions that were coming into the church, and they found their way into biblical theology in the church and biblical practice, and they kind of started looking the same. And I don't know about you, but I think that's happening today as well. That there is an influence of our culture, of our surroundings, that happens in the local church. And if you don't think it does, what's Christmas? And Christmas, to a great degree, is, yes, it's a great Christian 
uh, event that we have during the year, memory, uh, putting, putting Christ first. But boy, Santa Claus is there. And, a, 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 you know, a reindeer that flies, you know. There's this huge syncretism that happens in so many different ways. But Paul starts answering this question, this question of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus by simply asking this church to look to Jesus, to put your focus on him, and it seems like it works its way out. He, he gives some challenges, he gives some exhortation about what a Christian should act like, but for the most part, he's saying, look to Jesus. And as Galatians was challenging, uh, challenging the early church about how a person is saved, Colossians is really challenging us on how we should live. And we should live really a Christ-centered life. So today, we're going to be looking at the fact that we need to trust in the complete work of Jesus, prioritize Jesus over everything else this world has to offer, and to mimic the everyday life and teachings of Jesus. That's where we're going. Let's go there. Trust in the complete work of Jesus. Colossians 2, verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. That's, that's pertinent for us this week. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So you also are complete. Talking to the church, he's talking to believers. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every other ruler and authority. People were coming into the church. Remember syncretism? There were all these thoughts coming in. And it's really interesting because it's a kind of a pastoral letter. And he's saying, stop thinking about all these, this nonsense. He's kind of being really strict and really hard with them. Like all this thought is coming into the church, all this philosophy. And he just says, this is nonsense. Look to Jesus. Look to him as everything that you need. Make him the priority. Make him the essential one. Rather than trying to think your way through the process of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, just follow Jesus. So some of the old lies he brought up in here, and let me just focus on them. First of all, this legalism, which I talked about just earlier briefly, really around the do's and the don'ts. Legalism is seeking to prove one's spiritual worth by keeping rules and regulations. Some people, they love rules. How many of you are love rules? You, you love structure, right? I know people who love structure because you will be driving in the middle of nowhere where there's no stop, there's no cars around and one stoplight, right? And there's a guy in front of you who stops at that stoplight and waits the entire time. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He won't go until it's green, but there's not a car in sight. There's nobody around. But you've got to go by the rules, right? It's good. Nobody gets in an accident. I understand. Verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. For Christ himself is that reality. 
In other words, in the Old Testament, there are all these traditions that were put together in order so that that family, the Jewish family, could look forward to Jesus coming. And everything had the symbols to look to Jesus. And now that Jesus is here, what are the symbols about? Well, they were a foreshadowing. They were giving us advance notice of what is to come, and it, it was good for us to do those things. But, but in, in reality, they were not the focus. Jesus is the focus. At one point, there was some discrepancy in the church that Paul had to deal with in 1 Corinthians verse chapter 8, in which some people were eating meat that was already sacrificed to idols, and then it was resold at a cheaper price, and so everybody's like, yeah, cheaper meat, why not? And other people are, well, no, it was given to idols. And so there was this schism in the church. And Paul basically said, he didn't say one was right and one was the other, wrong. He said, well, follow your conscience on this and make room for each other to do that. Honor each other. The important idea here is each of those groups, the two groups in the church that struggled with this, both were trying to be honest to their conscience. Even though there wasn't a law or a strict component, it was say, they were saying, Lord, well, what do you want me to do in this situation? I don't know about you, but every single week, I go through about a dozen situations just like that, where it's nothing but gray. What do I do in this situation? How do I respond to something as complex as this? And how do I live my life in such a way that all I want to do is please Jesus? I remember growing up, we went uh, bow hunting and gun hunting every single year in Armstrong Creek. Anybody know who Arm where Armstrong Creek is? I know he does. A few of you way up north. And uh, we always hunted with this guy named Bernie Kleszewski. Everybody who lives in Armstrong Creek has a ski at the end of their name, right? And Bernie was great. Bernie was wonderful. Uh, just a deeply committed guy, janitor his whole life, worked with my dad, faithful, faithful, faithful to the church, faithful to God. And then he retired and moved up there. And I remember sitting around the fire one cold bow season night and uh, him telling the story. He said, I was in prayer recently and God asked me to do something. And, and tears start coming down his face. And he said, God asked me to not wear T-shirts with logos on them. And I'm like 13, and I'm thinking, this guy's been in the woods way too long. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, you know, there's like, there's like Christian, and then there's like Christian. <laughs> you know? and, and then he, for the next few minutes, he just kind of downloaded what God was saying to his heart. He, you know, he said, you know, for me, God was asking me not to represent anything but him. It started kind of making sense then. And he was talking through how his whole life he represented his job and he represented this and that. He said, and God is just asking me to represent nothing but him. Now, does that preach? No, you can't come in here and say, hey, if you're wearing a, a, a Nike swoosh, out the door. Absolutely not. But it is a posture that says, I just want to be close to Jesus. It's not a matter of legalism. Right? So the big issue first was really around legalism. Second, we see this weird thing of asceticism, which is seeking to prove one's spiritual worth by the amount of sacrifices 
were willing to make or even the damage of the physical body, which was a big thing that was happening in the second and third century. Colossians 2.18 says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial. The, the, the theology at the time that had crept into the church was that sin somehow attached itself to the physical body, right? And the physical body was the problem. It wasn't the spirit. It wasn't the soul. It had nothing to do with what was happening in here and in here. It was this. And so at the time, the, the way in which you get rid of it is to harm the physical body, right? And to try to put the physical body down and to try to do self-denials and hurt themselves and try to maybe even just fast to hurt the body rather than fast to control the heart and to focus the heart, right? And so for them, this was really a struggle around what does it look like to deal with sin here and here, not just on the physical component. Now, is there a physical component to sin? Yeah, bet. Sin has a way of permeating all of us. Praise God, we have new life. And we'll go on to that in a second, because that's really where Paul's going. The third that he deals with in, the, in this storyline is mysticism, which was seeking to prove one's spiritual worth by the number of spiritual experiences they've had. Right? It says in verse 18, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial and the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. So people were having these great spiritual experiences, seeing angels, talking to angels, and having these experiences as a purpose of clout and to be prideful and to tell other people about them, right? And do you know that God does, does come into the moment and does reveal himself in miraculous ways at times? He absolutely does that. But here's the thing. Paul, in his book to Romans, makes it very, very clear. We don't live by our experiences. We live by faith. So what are the experiences all about? I really do believe that our experiences in God are ways in which he encourages us. He guides us. We are deeply emotional beings. We are deeply emotional beings. And at times, we need encouragement. And he encourages us in some miraculous, practical ways. And sometimes it integrates into our emotions. Maybe even today. I talked to some re somebody recently that was making statements about how during, during the worship and a service, and or worship and preaching recently, how they felt the presence of God. How many of you have felt that before? Right? It's like, wow, like God, like God is here. Now, if we're people who live by faith, why does he do it? To encourage us. To reveal himself to us. To show himself to us. I remember, I, I, don't, I think from like the age of like eight years old till probably when I was about 40 years old, I think I cried once or twice. It's not something I'm proud of. I just wasn't a crier. You know, just, I don't know, like, and I, I talked to Christine, since the whole Ukraine thing, I, I can cry in a moment. Like, any time now, you just look at me and smile. Keith and Mary, I'll start crying, you know. Just emotionally, I've changed. But I remember one time uh, when I was 16 years old, I was sitting in a service, and we had special music. Back when you had special music, and some of it was kind of special, you remember? <laughs> right? 
And uh, it was just somebody playing on the piano. And I, now a 16-year-old boy shouldn't do this, right? I, I was sitting there with the youth group, and as they were singing the song, I just started crying because I so felt the presence of God, and I so felt not only his love for me, but his love for other people. Like, I wasn't just tears. I was snot crying. You know, and everybody thought, like, something went wrong with Paul, right? Everybody's like, what happened? Are you okay? You fine? I'm like, I have no idea. Just so felt the love of God. And it's interesting. I'm now 50 years old. And I still remember when I was 16 years old when God showed up and revealed himself to me in just a loving, practical way. He'll still do that today. He'll still encourage us. Maybe at times we maybe don't need the encouragement and we just need a little more faith. We need more faith in the feels. And sometimes we need a little bit more feels, right? And God will come and touch our hearts, encourage us. So first, we need to just be confident in what Jesus has done for us. But second, prioritize Jesus over everything else this world has to offer. This is where Paul starts dealing with that syncretism issue in culture. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life. This feels like a really real life, but there's something spiritual that's happening that's my real life. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Paul challenges the church to be very careful about placing an inordinate amount of emphasis upon this world. And, and we can start to look like the world when our priorities resemble the priorities of this world. It's very easy to syncretism to happen when our hearts are drawn to the very things that uh, are around us that we think are so important. Well, what happens is our faith relationship with God changes when our eyes are on the world and not on Jesus. Remember these words? Remember what he just said? He said, set your sights, think about, put your focus not on everything around us, put your focus on Jesus, which is really, really hard because I haven't seen heaven. I haven't. I'd love a dream. I'd love one of those emotional experiences. I'd love something like that. But I haven't. I have to live by faith. But I do need to somehow transition my passions, the things that are important to me, from the things that are temporal to the things that are eternal. Kind of make that little change. And this is hard because we have groupthink. We all have these things that we all value together. And now social media is driving those things that we all value together. And to us personally and for us as a church, it's so important to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because we can get distracted so easily. And turned around. He makes it very clear how this is done. He talks about death. 
dying to that self, that physical self, and coming alive in Jesus Christ in that union. So chapter 3, verse 5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with, yeah, you knew they were coming, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Here it is. When your life was part of this world, this is what was important to you. But now, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, uh, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. There it is. We should look a little different. We should act a little different. We should posture ourselves a little bit different. Everything about us should be different because we are prioritizing Jesus and a life in Jesus above everything else. So let's just go through like the three. And you know what? They're just kind of the three that are always pestering our lives, always pestering the church. And he kind of emphasizes three different areas here. Sex, money, and power. It's always the trifecta, right? It's always the struggle. So first, that personal gratitude is the highest accomplishment seems to be the focus of this world. That personal gratification is the highest compliment. For some reason in this church, uh, sexuality had become a big part of the congregation. It kind of brought itself in and, and had kind of syncretized itself to the faith and tried to change what God meant to be a perfect and beautiful thing and manipulate it. And guess what? Isn't that always happening? Isn't it? We've just, we're, we're halfway through a four-week series with the youth on, on uh, dating and relationships and marriage and how to choose a good spouse. And uh, we have question and answers in two weeks, so uh, pray for us. Sex is God's idea. Sex is God's plan. Sex is completely beautiful. It's amazing. It's what he desires for us to have in our lives. That's why when, when Adam was created, he said, you're insufficient by yourself. And he brought Eve. Even Jesus tried to communicate how important the model was all the way back to Genesis because Jesus quotes it. Haven't you read these scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. God's simple plan. Sex is for marriage, for a lifetime, a man and a woman. It's beautiful. I made it this way. I want it this way. Your life will be better if you follow my plan. But the syncretism that came into the church in Colossae was a manipulation of that perfect model. And guess what? That's constantly being challenged from our culture, from our media, and I would say it even finds its way in here at times. Right? The struggle first was that personal gratification is the highest accomplishment. Second is that this visible world has the greatest value to this world. Greed. 
is at its heart the fact that we want as much as we can before we die. And I don't know if it's just the desire to acquire a great number of things as much as it is to maybe feel safe within those things or feel stability in those things. And I think the struggle even becomes within the church when this mentality of greed trickles in is that the church has a tendency, all of us have a tendency, of admiring people who have lots of money, regardless of character, and looking down on people who maybe have great character and don't really have much. In fact, at one point, you know, the church was challenged to not allow the good seats in the front to be held for certain people and other people have to sit in the back. What were they saying? Well, even then, that whole idea of people who have more are better. And Scripture is very clear here. It's not about acquiring stuff, but about looking our eyes to Jesus and living for Jesus. That said, Scripture tells us very clear, be the best employee, be the best worker, be independent, do everything it needs to be a good testimony to the world. So they had this mentality that this world has the greatest value. They had this mentality that you must live to win. I don't know what you win at the end if you're of the world, but there's this maliciousness against each other that came out, this aggressiveness that came into each, to each other, and as a result, there was conflict always happening because it was all about power. Sex, money, power. The struggle in this church, it's the struggle in our culture today, and we need to do everything we can to not make it a part of the gospel message. Set your eyes on the realities of heaven. A life following Jesus should influence every other decision in our lives. See, it's not a matter of, do people know I'm a follower of Jesus? But if we are simply taking the posture that my life is about Jesus, guess what? We're going to start looking like him. We're going to start acting like him. We're going to start living like him. Verse 3, chapter 3. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life. Finally, my third point. Mimic the everyday life and teachings of Jesus. I love the fact that Pastor had this storyline about our, our, uh, our, our Wednesday classes being the apprenticeship program. And it's kind of a complicated word for most of us. We still use the apprenticeship series. I think it's a great idea because what an apprentice does by all practice is looks at someone who's a specialist in the area and learns from them day by day how to do what they're doing. Well, isn't that what we do with Jesus? We simply look to him. Verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. As you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. I love that phrase. Christ is all that matters. Now, do other things matter? 
Yeah, I mean, it's hyperbole to a certain extent, right? Got to take care of your kids, got to get up in the morning and brush your teeth. That matters, right? The hyperbole is here is it's an emphasis beyond all others. It's an emphasis about, of all others. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive one another who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves. Here it is, love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So he starts making it real practical. Okay, here it is. Mimic the character traits of Jesus. Just follow what Jesus is doing. Look to him. Make him your first priority. But there's things that leak in. Let me just go through some of these statements and we'll close <coughs> with a word of prayer. Learn to know your creator and be like him. I think it's great that the word is preached here every, every Sunday. Uh, I, I think it's great that Wednesday night we have wonderful classes. But I've said it, Pastor, Pastor Keith and Mary will tell, me, tell us very clear. I've probably said it a thousand times. If all you have is Sunday and Wednesdays when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, it's altogether insufficient for your spiritual health. Altogether. He's a good preacher. He's a good preacher. We've got lots of good uh, teachers as well. But it's altogether insufficient. Learn about your creator. Just, just get into the New Testament and just, just read about Jesus and reflect about how that's supposed to apply to your life. How do I become more like Jesus? We were chosen to live differently in this world. Tender-hearted, mercy, kindness, not aggressive, like this world has a tendency of, to be. Practice thankfulness. That whole idea of coveting, needing more rather than being thankful is the antithesis of the nature of Jesus. Be ambassadors of Jesus. Do you know that all the youth groups in, uh, in the Assemblies of God used to be called Christ ambassadors? How many of you are a Christ ambassador? Raise your hand up proud. Come on. Oh, wow. My, my big question is, can any of you sing the song? Oh, we got one after service. Yeah, okay. There was a song everybody had to learn, right? That's, that was before my time. We, I think Christ Ambassadors went well, right after mine. Live the practices of Jesus. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. If you, if you come on a Wednesday night, one thing you're going to hear, and I think all of our adult classes, has to do with spiritual exercises. It seems to be a theme that we, we get consistently about what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ is devoting to ourselves to these practices of prayer, of reading the word, of silence, these practices that are so essential for our spiritual well-being, of becoming more like Jesus. Because even if we don't intend to, if we are seeking after Jesus, if we are putting our focus on him, we're going to start looking like him.
we're going to start acting just because we're spending time with him. Just because we're together. Just because we're seeking him and our focus is on him and not on the world. Our, our character is going to change. And it starts with just being united with Jesus. I didn't spend a lot of time with Pastor Mark until we came on staff. And something I never said ever in my conversation was 100%. Now I'm saying it all the time because he says it all the time. I say to my wife all the time, she asks me a question, did you, do the, did you uh, bring the dog for a walk? I, 100%. Where'd that come from? It came from him. I blame him. I never say 98%, always 100%. Well, what's the difference? We talk a lot. We hang out. We're becoming like him. The good parts. <laughs> but that's a good thing, right? To take on these good parts of the people we spend time with. They grow in us. They mature us. They get us healthy. We so appreciate our pastoral staff that's been able to do that together and challenge us. Do you have that with Jesus? It's interesting because this sermon has very little to do, although this has a great deal within Colossians about salvation. It has to do with once you are a follower of Jesus and putting off that old self, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And it's just plain simple. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your focus on him. So many distractions are coming. So many things are going to try to drift us away. But we keep our eyes on him. And we start looking like him. Start acting like him. Our priorities change. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm just going to close in a, in a song and a response time here. There's a term that was huge when I was a kid, back when my dad put on the suit, right? It seemed like it was a, like a topic every other Sunday in a sermon, and I haven't heard the word probably in, in 20 years. Really, like in the church, we haven't used the word in like 20 years. Um, backsliders. We ever heard the word backsliders, right? What's the, what's the, what are, what's denoted in that except for they were once in a healthy spiritual place and I, I don't know if they're there right now. A little slippage. Sometimes there's a, there's a connotation to their eternal reward and whether it was there or not or, you know, everybody, the backslider. I'm really glad the word's gone, by the way. It's not a, not a good, healthy perspective for all of us, but there is something, a little piece in there I think we need to pull out and ask ourselves that question. Have I drifted? Have I slid a little bit away from a time in which this world didn't have the priorities it has in my life right now? It's come and it's blended into my priorities. It's 
blended into what's important to me. Yeah, I've drifted. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if we're all taking just a moment, nice pretty music playing in the background to take some times of reflection, I think we all can say there have been seasons of our lives where we have drifted. Maybe we're really not the man or the woman of God that we desire in our lives because our priorities, our focuses have changed. With all the challenges Paul was saying in this, in this beautiful book about what it means to follow Jesus, foundationally it was put your eyes on him and follow him. So with everybody having your eyes closed, we'll do something just a little bit different. If you say that in my heart, I'm, 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 in, a, I'm in that place where I've really drifted. Some of those values that you read earlier are good ones aren't a part of me and some of the bad ones are. I, I've allowed the world to kind of blend with my faith. I don't even know what I look like anymore to the world. If you felt like you've drifted, all I want you to do is just open your eyes and look into my eyes. Thank you. 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 I'm very confident of this. I'm very confident that the Holy Spirit does a really, really good job of speaking to us and guiding our lives. Much better than any pastoral staff or good friend or even an angel can do. I think the Holy Spirit here today is here to guide our lives. So if the Holy Spirit has tugged your heart about drift, I want you to close your eyes. Everybody else, close your eyes. We're going to take just a few minutes. And let the Holy Spirit answer the question, so what? So what are you going to do? We can pray for you. We can encourage you. But what is the Holy Spirit asking you to do in response to your drift? So I'm just going to take a few moments of silence.
our shoulders as we look to you, Lord God, knowing we're complete, everything we need. stand with me. Let's sing the song together. The altars are open. We have prayer team coming up. Feel free to slip away, but let's take a few more moments to allow the Holy Spirit to cement what he's been saying.